my freshman year of college, I was very focused on thinking about who is it that I want to become. Sophomore year, I focused on how can I become that person. But as my freshman year, as I'm thinking about who I want to become, I expanded that out, not just to be, you know, oh, I want to be patient, I want to be kind, I want to be humble, but also like what kind of father or husband, as I was talking about earlier, do I want to be? What kind of money do I want to make? What kind of, you know, uh, friendships do I want to have? What kind of friend do I want to be? You know, what kind of physical fitness do I want to have? Like setting goals. And that's what was the benefit of, beneficial thing about doing all those different activities I told you about, from like working with the homeless to working with elderly people to um, doing ROTC to playing club basketball, is that I set goals in all these different areas. And I realized compared with the way I was living my life, where I was striving to, for excellence in all these different areas compared to my friends who were only striving in school and were a wreck in all these other areas or were only caring about their romantic relationship and, and neglected school. I was like, I'm much more fulfilled than all of them. And they're all coming to me for advice. And I think this is why, you know, it's because I'm actually taking responsibility and striving for growth in all areas instead of just one. So that's kind of the, the birth of that philosophy. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Carnivera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. This is episode 71, and our guest is Nathan Crankfield. The title of today's program is Seeking Excellence, Daily Strategies for Living and Leading a Life of Excellence. Nathan is a fascinating young man. I met him a few months ago. And I was blown away when I met him. I remember thinking, who is this guy? This is a guy who, you know, he went to college. He was in ROTC, went into the army, saw that as his long-term career, realized that's not where he could really thrive and really give back and serve others as a leader. Got into uh, an organization called Dynamic Catholic Institute, where Nathan went in and helped priests and leaders grow their leadership. He has now started an organization which is really his passion and his personal mission, and it is called Seeking Excellence. And their mission is this. They want to inspire people to take responsibility for every area of their life, to push people to reach their full potential as the person they were created to be. And he's here today to share those same wisdoms and perspectives with you. Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are back here at the Impact Leadership Podcast, Craig Matthews and I, and we have a, a really interesting guest, and I'm excited that Nathan Crankfield is with us. I have actually known Nathan for about three months now. We met back in August of 2020 on a men's spiritual retreat weekend in Charlottesville, Virginia, that our mutual friend Tommy Spaulding puts together every year. And I have to tell you, the first night we were at a cocktail party, there's about 15 of us. And I meet Nathan, and Nathan, as you'll see, well, you may not see if you don't see the video. Nathan, I'll just tell you, is a young man. I don't want to get into his age, but he's a young man. And I remember talking to him for five minutes or less and said, who the hell is this guy? Wow, because he blew me away with the depth 
of his wisdom and the way he's already looking at the world and himself and his role in it as leadership. He's got a fascinating background, both in his leadership and in the business world and the spiritual journey. He grew up in Pennsylvania, uh, ended up going into the Army, uh, was a Ranger, 82nd Airborne. I'm sure we're going to talk today about some of the experiences from that that he brings into his leadership today. I'm going to tell you, you're just about to experience an incredibly uh, gifted, driven, passionate young man, and I'm grateful to have Nathan with us today. Glad to have you here. Thanks. Yeah, it's great to be here, guys. I appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to this. So, Nathan, I didn't give a whole lot of the story there, so fill in some of the blanks of uh, what brings us here today with Nathan Crankfield. Absolutely. So, I was born and raised in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and uh, grew up there in Central PA. We only moved once when I was, uh, I think, two years old, and we lived in that house. That, that My mom lived in that same home until this past January, which is only interesting because I've now lived in like five states in the last like six years, you know? I moved a ton, so uh, that's been fun, but... I grew up there in Harrisburg. Uh, I went to Catholic school growing up and, and went to a Catholic high school. Uh, really kind of struggled in high school, got in a, a decent bit of trouble. Uh, I think I had like 21 detentions in my freshman and sophomore year. So uh, and suspended once. Right? <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, I dabbled. Entrepreneur. You know? Entrepreneur. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I, I dabbled. My, my grades started to decline for sure throughout high school and then got into college. I, I went to Mount St. Mary's University in Emmitsburg, Maryland which I loved, really changed my life in a number of ways. It was a very impactful time for me. I stayed very busy. I, I was a believer that, you know, in order to find out what your calling is and where I'm supposed to serve, I have to try every type of service that I can, you know? So I got involved in all these different activities, service uh, opportunities, and a lot of leadership there. So I learned a lot about leadership while I was at the Mount. And uh, one of the most important things that I, or one of the most important programs I was a part of was the ROTC program. And so mm -hmm. I did Army ROTC while in college uh, for three years. I had a three-year scholarship uh, and then commissioned as infantry officer at two days before my graduation there. So graduated infantry officer five weeks later, went down to Fort Benning, Georgia, my first big move, moved down to Fort Benning, Georgia, where I spent the next year, as you said, you know, graduated from ranger school, did my infantry training and uh, had graduated from airborne school. Um, to learn how to jump out of planes. So that was fun. Moved up to 82nd Airborne Division, where I continued jumping out of planes, got deployed to Afghanistan in 2017 for six months. And when I got back from that, I was kind of like, okay, you know, I think it's time to, to move on. One thing that was really important to me was my faith when I was in college. So I had done a lot of ministry work and I was like, you know, I think it's time to go back into that kind of stuff. So I uh, went and worked at the Dynamic Catholic Institute in Cincinnati, Ohio for the next 13 months or so. And then uh, I was a parish consultant there for, for about a year, which was a great opportunity to get to you know, work with priests and, and parish leaders and just kind of help them develop their leadership and uh, their communication, put on events, all kinds of stuff. And then moved to uh, Kansas recently in the last about six weeks ago and started working as a resident director here at Benedictine College and also started my own ministry and nonprofit there in the process over the last few months, too. So. Wow. Very cool. So, so that's I've, I've done. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so I've kind of been, yeah, just relax and play video games. You know, Nathan, tell me if I remember this right. When I met you, was, did you give some early thought to making the military a career? Yeah. So talk about that process, because that, that was sort of your vision that that yeah, was going to lead sure. to that. Yeah. So, so when, I, when I was in high school and getting in trouble, I told my mom I was going to enlist in the Army. 
and she was not having that. She's like, I didn't just work multiple jobs for you to go to private school. For you to play. <laughs> so when I got to college, it was like the second week there and they had the activities fair. I didn't know the difference between officer enlisted. Like it didn't mean anything right. to me, but they said they could pay for me to go to college. And I was like, this sounds great. So I got to do both. <laughs> and I kind of joined ROTC thinking, you know, like I could do national guard reserves, whatever, but I just wanted school to be paid for. And like, you know, be able to put on the uniform. But over time, I really fell in love with it. And so you're exactly right, Jeff. When I was like my senior year, everybody was like, this guy is going to do like 30 years. Like they're like Colonel Crankfield, like you're going to be a brigade commander, you know, like you're going to be doing it forever. And, you know, when I got into the army, one thing that was really interesting in the army, and I think we all experience this at different points of our lives, is that when you see behind the curtain of something, especially something you idolize, you realize how not, you realize how human it is. (laughs) right? Like how real it is and how flawed people are. And that was kind of my experience in the army. Like I remember going to ROTC uh, physical training, you know, PT for the first time and being like, wow, these are going to be some studs. These are going to be some athletes, you know? And I was just, I got there and was just like, wow, like half the people couldn't catch, you know, we were playing sports that day. (laughs) Like nobody could catch. And I'm just like, what am I looking at? But then you go to the infantry and you're like, okay, infantry is like the hardest branch to get, you know, other than aviation because it's so small. But you're like, this is going to be some studs, you know, the, the top, the top tier guys. And you're just kind of like, I'm like, you know, you just kind of get disappointed. And then you, I went to Ranger School, a special operations school. And you see some of the, you know, less than stellar individuals who come in. And it's just like, wow, you know, you start to kind of realize that. And there's obviously many more tiers above. I was by no means at the top, you know, level that you can get to in the military. Uh, but still, you just kind of get to see things from a whole different perspective when you actually yeah. see behind the curtain. Same things happen with my time working in the church you know, in, in ministry organizations and things like that. So I think that kind of, you know, had an impact on me uh, that helped me to see the army for what it really was, which, you know, doesn't give me a negative view of it, you know, hundred percent negative, but it wasn't, uh, I wasn't going to be able to make the impact that I thought I was going to be able mm-hmm. to make in the army. And so that was kind of something that re- really resonated with me when I thought of as a 24 year old, 25 year old, how can I spend the next 50 years of my life? to impact the world in the best way that I can with the gifts that God's given me. And I realized like the army, as long as like where we're at right now and what the infantry is doing right now, this isn't going to allow me to impact uh, so that I think I'm, I'm called. What were your expectations on being able to have an impact? What were you expecting to be able to do? So the thing that we, <laughs> a lot of our ROTC graduates from Mount St. Mary's attributed to is that we had like the greatest ROTC program of oh. all time. And it was like, I mean, you were just so involved in people's lives. Uh, we had a Bible study every Monday night together. We were working out together. We were holding each other accountable in our grades and all areas of our lives we wanted wow. to grow. And so to go from this like super, you know, faith, virtue driven environment to going into the active duty infantry where people didn't care about that stuff as much, you weren't able to have as much of an impact on a soldier's life as I was on a cadet's life mm-hmm. because they just weren't as open to growing and changing in some of those other areas, you know? And so I started to kind of see that and was like, wow, okay, I can be a positive influence and I can, you know, plant some seeds for sure, but the ground wasn't as fertile as I knew it was in other places, you know? Yeah. And so Rocky I think that, soil. exactly. So that's what I think you have to kind of balance. And, you know, I've often said that like in the Catholic world, in the military, a lot of times they don't get the best priests in the world as military chaplains. And I personally think that that's not a bad thing because it's not where you have your most fertile soil, you know, like. <laughs> You're not, there's not as much soil, it's not as fertile. So you have other places, I think, like college campuses, for example, mm-hmm. where there's a lot of people looking for questions to those deep, or answers to those deep questions in life that are written on everybody's heart and they're, they're hungry and they want it. 
And I think that that's the place where you want to have, you know, the most impactful leaders. It's interesting. My son, he really wanted to go into the Air Force and, and be a chaplain and, mm-hmm. you know, basically blending his, his spiritual approach with wanting to serve in the military. I said, well, why do you want to go in the military? He said, I want to, I want to serve my country. Like, okay, that's a good one. And then, uh, you know, he said, so I kind of talked to him about, okay, there's this thing called a chaplain. He's like, oh yeah, that's what I want to do. So, you know, he started moving towards that process. Uh, unfortunately, asthma kept him out, but his, his idea was, I want to be on the front lines. I'm like, why? He said, because that's where people need me most. I'm like, mm. okay, got a heart. Right. Uh. Yeah, no, that's really big. And I think, you know, my, I, I, we always do need the strong leaders, you know, to be in the front. And yeah, and yeah I've, I've had some great chaplains while I was in the army. You know, a lot of the, the, the Protestants all get looped into one, you know, so like you have just a general Protestantism uh, or general Protestant chaplains. Um, but we had we had some excellent, excellent leaders, and individuals. And, and but I also got to see their frustration with lack of, um, you know, participation in their events yeah. and the things they were doing, you know, which is tough. So Nathan, I'm really fascinated by something. I don't even remember if we talked about it when we were together. I know we had some great conversations uh, out in the lawn into the wee hours of the morning over For bourbon. Sure. I don't remember them all, not just it's because of the bourbon though. It's cigars, <laughs> right? But here's the thing. So you, you go into the military, you're an officer, you're in for a short time, relatively a couple of years, mm-hmm. right? And then you go and you go right into um, work within the church. And your role is to go into parishes and help them with leadership. Right. So what are you, I mean, I'll just be blunt. What are you bringing to the table on leadership with that experience to now you're going to help parishes lead better? Yeah, no, absolutely. So one thing that I can tell you was the biggest thing that was missing that I think I really grew to understand the army because they pounded into our heads, especially (laughs) as young platoon leaders, especially in the infantry, is that you have to lead by example. Yeah. And in parish world, and I think in the corporate world too, from what I've experienced and what I've seen, that doesn't happen enough. You know, like in the army, it's like, if you expect your, your guys to have, we had this understanding that there's going to be a drop off between the leader and the, the followers or the subordinates, right? So if I expect my guys to have a 270 out of 300 PT score, I need to have a 300 out of 300 PT mm-hmm. score. I can't have a 270 and expect them to have a 270. Then I go to the church world and I see all these you know, our goal at, at the Dynamic Catholic Institute is to create that, what we call Dynamic Catholics, which focus on four major things, which are prayer, study, generosity, and evangelization. And then I come into these, you know, parish staffs, and I see these pastors and, you know, associate pastors and volunteers, and I'm like, I can tell, you know, and I'm talking to them and, do, and, and going through this stuff, that they're not praying, that they're not studying the faith. They're not doing the four things, you know, the four signs. And so it's like, you know, guys, we're not going to be able to create dynamic Catholics if we're not dynamic Catholics. <laughs> and the same thing goes for the organization itself, right? For us, for right. me as the consultant, I have to make sure that I'm doing those things. Yeah. And I think that that was some of the, the basic things of like uh, becoming strategic, you know, like understanding, really assessing the situation at hand and, and starting to say, okay, what, what are we, where are we at? You know, I always use the example of land navigation in the military. You plot yourself where you're at on the map first. Then you plot where you want to go and then you plot, you know, plan the best route to get there. Mm-hmm. And just some of that simple stuff. I think a lot of times it's easy to just shoot for the goal and just hope, you know, just like kind of hack your way through it and just say, <laughs> you know, let's just start guessing and trying to do some things. And it's like, well, let's take a baseline of like where we're at first and think how we can strategically get to where we want to go. 
I don't think you're talking about anything uh, new in the corporate world because I think that's probably one of the top two or three biggest challenges in leadership in the corporate world is leaders, positional leaders at least, are not walking their own talk. Right. There's a disconnect. And I think the, for me, what I see as the biggest impact is complete breakdown in trust and a willingness to follow that person. Yep. Like you said, I love that standard of saying, because you said two things, but I don't know if you realize you said both. One is you said you had to set the bar higher because you knew there, not everyone would meet your, your level. Right. You have to be higher to raise them up through that. But the other part is any gap between you and the expectation creates not just a fall down in performance, but a, bre- a breach in trust. Mm, yeah. Good point. So that gap creates, Absolutely. and so you were right in the middle of it, right? You know, jump into your career. You're right in the middle of leadership 101, 201, and 701. Right. <laughs> Amen. Right. Absolutely. And I had I had a, a great priest friend of mine on my podcast recently, and we talked about, you know, kind of that that gap and, and just some of the perks and and things that come along with leadership, right? Especially a lot of positional leadership. Like you have some perks, you have some advantages. And we definitely did as officers in the military, right? Like, I think that's no secret that officers generally have a little bit better. They get paid more. And he, he pointed out a good thing that or an important, an important point that the reason why you have these perks and the reason why your followers are okay with you having the perks is that you're supposed to protect them. You know, you're supposed to care about them. You're supposed to provide for them with, Certainly. you know, yeah, with that like wiggle room or those benefits that you have. And the problem, I think, in the corporate world that we see it a lot in the church, too, is that people don't do that. You know, they're not they're not using that extra, you know, that bonus to kind of protect their people. They're just kind of always taking, they're always receiving and leaders aren't really striving to give, you know, and that's that's the mindset. I think when you have the, the mindset of I'm trying to give and trying to develop and trying to provide for my people, that's what motivates you to have that 300 PT score, because you know that when you raise your your bar up, they're going to raise theirs up as well. And so it's not just about me going to the gym an extra time or putting in the extra work. It's also about everybody else that I'm raising up with me, you know, yeah. and, and, and calling to, to a higher level. Well, I love the culture that you talked about in your detachment and your ROTC detachment where it, it sounds like you were really building a family. You know, you, you were there together. You were going through it. You were encouraging each other to, to be better. And ultimately yeah. that comes back to, you know, the people that you're around most are the ones, you know, that's where the height is going to go. And so you surrounded yourself with good people, you set a standard and they stuck to it. I, I love that. Right. Absolutely. I, I honestly, I think we could talk about my ROTC battalion for an hour because like <laughs> I look back at some of my favorite moments of leadership and things that I've done, yeah. lessons learned or applied lessons learned came from my ROTC time, honestly, because yeah. the culture you're talking about was not the culture when I got there as a freshman, when I talked about like, like, Every, every class was so divided. So like every, the seniors only talked to the seniors, juniors yeah. to juniors, sophomores to sophomores. And I was a freshman and was participating. I wasn't contracted yet. And there was this huge divide between those who were contracting and those who weren't. Yeah. But then like I looked and I liked a lot of the sophomores and juniors and respected them a lot, but I couldn't like hang out with them. There was no like interaction, you know, it was like these, these divides. And I didn't like any of the freshmen. And so like the hard, one of the hardest parts for me was there's all these weird freshmen, you know, who I have to spend all the time with right. and they're not teaching me anything. I'm not learning anything from them. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm just like, why would I want to stick around with this? And I was like, this is going to change as I, you know, as I get more and more influence in this, in this environment, yeah. like this, that's not going to remain. So 
I was okay. able to do that. And it wasn't just me. I don't want to take full credit for it, but it, I was able to kind of be strategic in that and plant a lot of seeds and raise the next generations to be totally, totally different. Yeah. I was in Air Force ROTC and uh, I, I think I experienced more of the first part than the second part. We, we had some good camaraderie, but I wouldn't say it was to the level of what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It was powerful. We, we, I mean, we got to the point where we were doing everything together, you know, and then I had one of my favorite, you know, leadership experiences was doing Ranger Challenge is something that uh, Army ROTC cadets do nationwide. And uh, my, my time in doing that and the way that I developed that team and built that team and took them from a 17th place team to a top three team was, was really, really special. Yeah, I had, I had a great time. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, tell I, us about that, Nathan. Tell us how you did that. So Ranger because Challenge. You said you build a team, but, but the out, that's the outcome. Right. Yeah. So, so Ranger Challenge was, there's so many good lessons in this. So but <laughs> one of them's kind of spiteful, which you'll think is funny. So I think it was my, it was either my freshman, I think it was my sophomore year, beginning of my sophomore year. I tried out for the Ranger Challenge team. Yeah, it was sophomore year. Tried out for the Ranger Challenge team. And there was this cadet who was leading it. And I really didn't like him. Um, but he was a senior at our school. And at that time, we had three schools in our battalion, which happens a lot with small schools. And our school had our own team. And so he cut me from the team, even though it was based on your PT score and your grades, which I had the highest PT score and grades in my class and was pretty up there. Like I was definitely top five. You know, not only was I top 12, but I was top five in, this, in our whole school. And so it was very frustrating. But the colonel was like, no, you're going to put Crankfield on the team. So he had to put me on the team. But it was funny because I always kept that email from him that said I didn't make the team for the rest of my time at school. I never deleted it. <laughs> I always kept that email, which was so funny. But we, we placed that year. There was a small school division and a big school division out of 40 schools. We placed 11th in small school and 17th overall. So junior year, they put the two schools, our two biggest schools together. And they had two captains that were both seniors. My senior year, they knew they wanted me to be the captain. They're like, who do you think should be the other captain? And one of the smartest things I did was I said, so I watched the other two, you know, go back and forth the whole, the whole year prior. And I said, my captain's going to be a co-assistant captain this year, and he's going to be a junior, and I'm going to be the leader. Because mm -hmm. I saw how it went with two leaders, and it didn't work out, you know, like constantly arguing over who makes the decisions and all this stuff. I said, we're not going to do that. We're going to have co-assistant uh, captain, and we're going to get together as often as humanly possible to bring the two schools together so we're not training separately. And so we had to get up earlier. We had to drive. It was a good 25 minutes to get to that school. Um, and, but we would get together, you know, at least once or twice a week, uh, to do our training and things like that. And just really focused on the one, the, the main thing that I think I did differently. If you asked the, the cadets who were on that team that year, and we ended up finishing first in the small school division and third overall, um, which is like unheard of to have small schools in the top five, uh, but it was really, really awesome. Uh, two things I think were really important. One is I, I pushed them harder than any of the coaches did before, or any of the captains did before, but I also made sure we had fun doing it. And that was something that was always missing was nobody enjoyed it. Nobody enjoyed being on Ranger Challenge, but it was just like a prestigious thing to do. But I made it so that we had fun together and we would do fun things. We'd have dinner together, you know, and order pizza or whatever it would be. Like we do fun stuff together and also really push each other and challenge each other uh, to be our best. And the second best thing I did was I focused more on being pretty good at everything instead of focusing on trying to win one event. So there's like 10 events, let's say in Ranger Challenge and you get scored on where you rank in each event. And what I remember before they announced the, the winners, right? The, the standings, they go through and give the winners of each event. And we were bummed because we thought we had won a couple of the events and we didn't win any event. And then we come to the end and we got first place. 
and third overall <laughs> because we were like top three in each event, wow. you know? And so I was like, wow. And then we ended up the event that we did win that they didn't announce was uh, the time. So you, you get time traveling from each station to station and we were in the best shape. So we won the time, the time <laughs> event, but uh, because I pushed everybody so hard, right. And we had high morale. And so we were inspired and motivated, um, but they were also very well trained and they were trained not just to focus in on one thing, but to kind of expand it out and be good at all of the events without striving to be the best in each event, which kind of, you know, was the fundamental belief, Jeff, as you know, of like seeking excellence in my ministry, right? Like that's kind of the, the well-rounded mindset and how it works. Hmm. Well, and I want to talk about seeking excellence. Before we get there, I want to ask you this question. You've talked a lot about what I perceive to be, I guess it's the same word, but really taking leadership literally, which means to lead, right. which means to go first. Yep. which means to work harder than everyone else. Mm -hmm. uh, you had the position, yet you were the one, you weren't pushing them any further than you were pushing yourself. Right. And I, I'm struck by that, and I want to share this anecdote real quick. As Craig knows, I've got this crush on Dick Winters. You know who that is, from Band of Brothers. Of course, yeah. There's no other way from to say it. where I'm from. We have a highway dedicated to him because he's from Central That's Korea. right. That's oh, wow. exactly yeah. right. That's that is exactly right. That yeah. is exactly right because that's where he retired too. Yep. He died. I think it was he was living in outside of Hershey at the time. Yep. And I've been watching a lot of his stuff. I'm actually doing a course on him soon. And that's right. I've seen that. But all his men talked about that. They said he never hesitated to go first. Right. Never saw him send someone else. You know, there were times that he had to order men, but it was if he did that, it was almost reluctant. Right. Then yeah. he would go first. So how much of that is informing how you lead now outside of the army? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think that it, it is the lens through which I see everything that I do, you know, whether it be my ministry, you know, when it comes to seeking excellence, so when it comes to my ministry here with the men at Benedictine College, um, it, that's just how I view it all. You know, and I, I have some sobering moments where I have to stop and look and I have to say, okay, how am I doing in all these things that I speak about or I write about or that I'm challenging these men to do, you know, because there's definitely like, I, I can tell not only do I have less conviction in the way that I, you know, express the message or that I challenge people when I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, <laughs> but I also just, it doesn't have the effect. Like the, the, you know what I mean? Like the, the actual impact and like the change in other people does not happen when I'm not doing, when I'm not living out what I'm challenging them to do. And there's something literally magical, you know, like miraculous about when you're the living example of what you're preaching, how much more your message, your message succeeds and how much more people are drawn to you, how magnetic that is. Oh, but people aren't really watching. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's what everybody says, right? Like it, it's so amazing. Like I see it all the time, like being in a position of leadership here, right. Uh, at, you know, as a resident director and just like, somewhat of a role model. Like I'm, I stick out big time when I'm like in the gym, right? I see people all the time when I'm in the gym, I'm like watching them, you know, out of the corner of their eye, whatever, like <laughs> there's this, now there's this new, you know, six foot, 230 pound full tattoo sleeve, black dude. That's a <laughs> resident director, which is not a common sight here, right? At Benedictine <laughs> College. And even when I'm not, you know, I could be in the cafeteria or whatever, like I see the people watching me. And there's something about when you take responsibility and accept that reality, that people are watching you all the time. And so like that matters and there's pressure to that. It's tiring. Absolutely. But you also start to understand how powerful that is. Yeah. How much you can use that for good and you can use it for bad. 
you know, you can also use it for bad. Yeah, but I think as as you focus on your character, that's it naturally, you know, those those opportunities to influence others naturally expand in the positive. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I would definitely agree with that. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. One of the things I heard in that, Nathan, and I want to check in with you about it, the outcome is pretty clear. You're setting a leader type example. That's pretty clear. And I'm sure you have gaps and fallbacks, but you're setting the sure. example. And there's two reasons leaders might do that, in my opinion. One is because they know people are watching. And so it's almost from a, they want to make sure that they don't set a bad example. Right. Right. The other is, and I'm hearing this in you, it's more internally driven, like a personal integrity. Yeah. That says, I need to be all that I'm asking of them. Because if not, it's less about how that might affect them, but it's more about I can't look myself in the mirror if I'm right. not in integrity with myself. Is that what I'm hearing from you? Absolutely. Yeah. I really don't know how people do it. Like that was kind of one of the most frustrating frustrating things as I started to work more and more in the church is seeing the priests or seeing the leaders who are preaching, you know, the importance of prayer, the importance of the sacraments or whatever it is, and are just going through the motions. And it's like, how do you even like bring yourself to talk about it? You know, like I struggle to put one of the the best things that holds me accountable now is doing the podcast and writing and things is that I'm constantly putting messages out there. And it's like one of the main ways that I kind of, you know, create the content things is like, what do I need to hear today? You know, like, and I just look at myself and record myself yeah. and just preach it myself, you know, for the next 30 minutes. And it's an easy way to kind of get it done. But I, I really don't understand how so many leaders can go out and tell people to do. And we see it a lot of times with politicians and, you know, corporate leaders, whatever. Military happens all the time, too. Where how you can go out and passionately yell and rant and rave about something that you're not willing to do yourself. And yet what we see is maybe that's one of the reasons that we have church membership declining because right. people aren't taken care of because they don't see the leader that they really want to follow because as a spiritual leader, they're not doing the work. Right. Absolutely. And I think the other side of that too, is sometimes we have a false expectation of our leaders, especially in the church world where we expect them to be perfect. Yeah. That's unrealistic. Yeah. So I think that there's the balance there where like the leader has to strive for excellence and the follower has to understand that this person is still going to make mistakes. And that's true for parents and children. That's true for bosses and employees. That's true for, you know, pastors and churchgoers. Yeah. That they're never going to be perfect, but you still, as a leader, have to strive to be your best. Well, I'm curious, Vincent, because we're talking about leadership. We're talking about your work happens to be in a lot of church leadership. Right now, you know, you've got your nonprofit. We're going to talk more about that. You know, you're working at Benedictine College. You know, you are... Uh, nurturing lives and spirits there Mm -hmm. so you're exercising leadership in most cases in a spiritual realm right and and i see so many overlap not just overlap is fully integrated with leadership anywhere 
Mm-hmm. You know, the example that's oh, coming for sure. up for me right now is around uh, vulnerability. And the vulnerability is that acknowledgement of challenges. I've had some friends, I remember this vividly, a friend of mine, husband and wife, they're both pastors, and she was sharing me how hard it is for her husband, who's a pastor, to just acknowledge his struggles. Yeah. Like he feels like he has to support everyone else and never let them know he struggles. Right. Wow. And, and I said, that message, she goes, Jeff, I'm telling you, that is a message that's being communicated. It's still rampant in the church. Absolutely. And that's the corporate world as well. There's a reluctance mm-hmm. to be vulnerable and acknowledge struggles. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Which is really so toxic. Any, any suggestions then, Nathan? My, my son just entered the ministry as a, a pastor um, for outreach and uh, community. And so he's just stepping into that place. He's probably the most aligned spiritual leader that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, yet he has his own pieces here and there. And I guess to Jeff's point about, you know, can you express that struggle? How real can you be? I think he's in a great environment. The church that he's in, the senior pastor, you know, there's, there's no issue about, yeah, bring your, bring your whole self in, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's really important. It, and it takes a, it does take a very special vulnerability. And, and my, my journey with that has always been like, I, I hit a threshold at some point in my life where I was like, I'm going to be real and vulnerable. And I like never looked back, you know? And I think that's yeah. the best way to be about it is like, just get it out there. And then from there, you can kind of move on with it. You know, like um, one thing, one of the things that oddly enough, like really drew me to my girlfriend was her vulnerability when we were in kind of like the beginning uh, stages of dating her vulnerability around sharing some of her, her struggles with, you know, sexual sin and, and things like that in a very, very public setting doing online ministry, uh, you know, at the beginning of quarantine that thousands of people were going to see. And like, she's like, my family's never heard some of these stories and things like that. And she's like, wow. I'm going to have cousins watching this. And I think once you do it that first time and you kind of share some of that dirt and things that you've done, uh, it, it kind of, from there, it's a, it's a little bit more downhill, you know, like it's always hardest in the beginning to kind of share like, Oh, I wasn't, I wasn't always like this. And I still struggle to this day. And yeah. so my, my encouragement to spiritual leaders, especially by any leaders is, is you can always be like, there's, there's really no downside in my opinion of being vulnerable and honest and transparent yeah. and real about your past, you know? And like that, there's nothing wrong with that. Like you're going to have people who will judge you, people who will look at you and say, Oh, you shouldn't be doing this if you did that. But it, th- that's going to exist no matter what, you know, like I'd rather reach the people who are going to be impacted by hearing the realness of my story and hearing the humanity in my past then worry about the people who are going to judge me if I share those things, you know, and that's, it's all about caring and loving the people that caring about and loving the people that God's calling you to serve, not worrying about the people who are going to judge you unnecessarily or, right. you know, wrongfully. And so I think that's so important to understand. And you still have to share some of your struggles now that you currently have, you know, like it's okay to, you know, show some weakness. I don't think it's a, you know, you can show no weakness, but there's a lot of strength that comes from knowing wow, this person is going through a really tough time. And, uh, you know, I have to be supportive of this, but also I can see their strength now because I know what they're, what they're dealing with. I can see the weight that they're carrying. Um, but obviously, yeah, I think there's, there's definitely a a balance there of like, I I think just spiritually, you have to be careful with like sharing what you're presently struggling with. You know, like, I don't think you have to, you know, Catholics go to confession. Like you don't have to announce your confession to the world each time you go, you know, like, I don't want to hear my priest's confession, but, um, but it's good to know, you know, of the realness of the past. But I, I see it all the time too. 
uh, you know, just hesitant in, in people to talk about their past. And like, I don't know if we should talk about that, especially when you're talking to high schoolers or college kids who are like, should we really say that? And I'm like, well, I'm going to say it. Like, I'm going to tell them, you know what I mean? That I was like selling weed and, and lost my virginity at a young age. Like, I'm going to talk about those things because then they're going to be like, oh, wow, you get so much more credibility and understanding. And they're like, they can see the, the point from where they're at to where you are. Yeah. If you show them where you once were, you know, but when they think that you so started true. off three miles ahead yeah. then they're like, yeah, I can't get to that. So they just, they tune you out. And what's yeah. the point? Yeah. When my sons came of, of old enough so that they could understand, you know, what, what had transpired, I shared some of my past with them. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, whether they, they both reacted very strongly to that. And I think right. it impacted them and some of their choices going forward, which is what I hoped would happen. Right. Right. And so just understanding that we have these experiences and even with our children, that's something that we can share to help guide them to say, hey, look, I'm not perfect. This is what I've experienced. And, you know, hopefully you can make a better decision than what I did. Right. Absolutely. Nathan, you, as you were talking about vulnerability, something hit me really for the first time with actually shocks me when it's about vulnerability. And I'm curious, here's what hit me, that there might be a hesitancy for people to be vulnerable in the form of sharing their past, mm-hmm. that, that specific form of vulnerability, because the fear is now they actually raise the bar on their behavior going forward, because mm-hmm. now people know, and they might be looking more closely, or yes. now they're saying, well, thanks for sharing. I actually expect to not see that from you now, because you're telling right. me it's in your past, and you've worked on it. So yeah. have you run into that in your personal journey or the leaders you've worked with? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's definitely, that's very, very real. And we have this fear of failure and, and the fear of repeating it, you know, of repeating any of those things. And I think that's why a lot of people don't evangelize or speak to a lot of things in general, because they don't want to seem like a hypocrite or they don't mm-hmm. want to fall into the trap of, of this or that, you know? And I think that that's something that to me is just hundred percent a form of pride right? There's, there's nothing but pride in that because, I, and I've experienced that definitely, you know, because I've let some people down. I've talked about sexual sin in the past or in my past and then come up where I, you know, fall again and it becomes, you know, known to either my social circle or whatever it gets out. And people are like wildly disappointed because they have me up on this pedestal. And so that's the importance of like preaching the fact that I'm not perfect now and I never will be doesn't mean I'm not striving. I'm striving to eradicate those things. But the, the main place that I'm striving to eradicate those things and who I'm most worried about letting down has to be God first, you know, then it has to be my future family or my, you know, my future spouse. That's who I'm worried about disappointing and letting down. Then, you know, my future kids and then everybody else in the world. The problem I think in the pride comes when I'm worried about everybody in the world ahead of those other three people that I just talked about, those other three roles. And when you worry about those too much, that's when you really start getting caught up. And I can't be vulnerable. I have to worry about this or that because I know at the end of the day that, you know, I, I am working on this, you know, to please God, to be a saint, to be the best person that I can be and to be the best husband I could be and to be the best father I can be. And so that should be my motivating force to not let anybody down, you know, um, yeah. not just, oh, I'm trying to like look good in front of the world and my friends and all this stuff. And I think that we have to always, you know, keep our priorities right with who we're aiming to please. I love that last word you said about priorities, because what I heard in that was getting really clear, not only on who you are, but what and who you serve and yeah. what really yeah. matters. And when then you have, you have a, an ability to gauge 
your choices every day against that. Exactly. And that's external. It's not ego driven at that point. Wow. Yeah. I really love that. Um, so Nathan, I want to talk about seeking excellence, which I think as I'm sitting here watching you on this video, realizing that COVID has had a lot of impact on people and some people have learned and grown in it and some have not. Seeking excellence exists really because of COVID in many ways. That's right. I mean, it was in your, it was on your heart, but it really, COVID gave you time and really inspired it. And I want to read this. This is from your website to set the tone for this. So this is what it says on the website. We want to inspire you to take responsibility for every area of your life. We want to push you to reach your full potential as the person you were created to be. We will provide you with the purpose, direction, and motivation needed to help you to truly live a life of faith-focused, well-rounded, personal growth. Our commitment is to get you to move in the direction that leads to your fulfilled potential. That is a powerful statement. and quite a bar it's definitely not low and to me you know your focus is this integrated life right and faith is at the center of that but what i'm most intrigued by is the full integration of it Mm -hmm. so talk about where this came from uh really get into how are you laying out this mission in the world yeah that's a great question so it kind of came i was in the I snuck my way into the honors program at Mount St. Mary's University. And one of my first honors classes that I had, me and my roommate and best friend in college, Tommy, drove the teacher crazy. And, and she really hated us. Um, but one thing I remember learning from that class, which is ironically one of the main things I remember learning in college, was about the Renaissance man. And she told us about the Renaissance man, somebody who showed to be educated and skilled in all these different areas. In the arts, they played an instrument. They were trained in wrestling. They knew how they knew war strategy. Um, they understood politics. They understood etiquette. They were spiritually formed, you know, and I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. You know, like who doesn't want to be that? And one of my favorite motivational speakers is uh, Eric Thomas, who also talks about that too. Um, he calls it being triple double, right? And that was kind of something that I loved about LeBron when I was younger and, and playing basketball, um, was just like this well-rounded basketball player, you know, like the triple double was always awesome because it's like you're, you're not only can you score, but you're also, you know, facilitating the offense with assists and you're getting rebounds, you're playing good defense, like being this well-rounded individual. And so as, you know, my, my freshman year of college, I was very focused on thinking about who is it that I want to become. Sophomore year, I focused on how can I become that person. But as my freshman year, as I'm thinking about who I want to become, I expanded that out, not just to be, you know, oh, I want to be patient, I want to be kind, I want to be humble, but also like what kind of father or husband, as I was talking about earlier, do I want to be? What kind of money do I want to make? What kind of, you know, uh, friendships do I want to have? What kind of friend do I want to be? You know, what kind of physical fitness do I want to have? Like setting goals. And that's what was the benefit of the beneficial thing about doing all those different activities I told you about from like working with the homeless to working with elderly people to um, doing ROTC to playing club basketball is that I set goals in all these different areas. And I realized compared with the way I was living my life, where I was striving to, for excellence in all these different areas compared to my friends who were only striving in school and were a wreck in all these other areas or were only caring about their romantic relationship and, and neglected school. I was like, I'm much more fulfilled than all of them. And they're all coming to me for advice. And I think this is why, you know, it's because I'm actually taking responsibility and striving for growth in all areas instead of just one. So that's kind of the, the birth of that philosophy. Wow. Where? So what, I'm sorry, go, go ahead, Greg. 
Now, I was just going to say, how do you how did you keep track of of all of those things as you're looking at the different goals that you have? Is it a particular type of planning system that you're using? Is it you know what? How did you keep those in front of you? Yeah, that's great. So I think I, I was first kind of you know just piggybacking off of what you generally hear from people is people kind of have like you know we're mind, body, and soul, which the church talks about a lot. But then people kind of expanded that to say we're like intellectual, emotional, spiritual, and physical. Mm-hmm. And then we eventually expanded it into the seven pillars of excellence, which is what we call it. And so those go through mental, emotional, physical, financial, professional, social, and spiritual. Okay. And so what I like to kind of do is with all of those things, have like, I, I say that you have to have kind of like a daily checklist that you can go through that, know, that you know kind of makes you, like brings you to your peak performance. And including like habits and routines, especially in the bookends of your day that help you to grow in those different areas. But then I think the most important thing that you do is like a weekly and monthly assessment of how am I actually doing in this in this area, right? So my daily thing, my big three for me personally that I don't think are necessarily universal, but I think would really change a lot of people's lives are, did I exercise? Was I active? Did I read today? And did I pray today? And if I do those three things, and especially if I can get two of the three of them done in the morning. I'm a big, I love to read and pray in the morning and I like to work out in the afternoons. If I can do that, then like my day, I feel like Nathan Crankfield, I'm alive, you know, I'm passionate, I'm excited because I'm learning about different areas. I'm always reading multiple books, learning about different, I'm learning something that day. I'm getting closer to God that day. And I'm, you know, getting stronger that day, getting mentally tougher that day, learning something about myself that day, you know? And so those are to me, the, the three biggest things. And then at the end of the week, when I'm planning my week, I'll take some time, you know, before mass on Sunday and planning my week that afternoon, that Sunday afternoon to say, okay, how's my relationship with my girlfriend going? How's my relationship with my family? Have I talked to my family recently? You know, how's my mental health? Like, let's take an actual check-in. Like, how's my mental health doing? Um, How's my body feeling? Like, did I work, did I work out, you know, four or five times this week? Was I active this week? And there's certain things I can look back, like my Apple watch, right? And check, I can check, you know, I can objectively see, did I call my mom or did I, talk to these people, right? Like, how are things going with Emily? Um, and, and so I can say, you know, all right, how did I do in my job this week? Where am I really slacking? Like, what are the big things I need to get done professionally this week to set goals, to stay on track with what I want to do? Same thing, evaluating with like, where's my ministry and how do I want to grow in that? Socially, how am I doing with not just my friends, but am I learning about the world? Am I staying in touch? Like, how do I feel like I'm, you know, contributing to justice in the world and, and making the world a better place? Uh, and that's kind of how I, I go through like the different areas and just kind of take a full, you know, well-rounded evaluation of, you know, did I spend a lot of money this week? How's my finances looking? Like checking my bank, you know, my bank accounts and seeing like, okay, what do I need to do this week? And that all of those assessments are what drive what I make in my task list for the week, which drives how I format my schedule for the week and how I implement my time. So that next week, we're not looking at the same problems that I was looking at this week. And where does your Netflix binging fit into that? <laughs> So I actually am not a huge Netflix binger. And I realized even earlier today, I said that I play video games. I haven't played video games since I was like 15, but at least not consistently. Um, But I do, I watch Netflix. I usually save those things for like the end of the day or if I'm taking like a midday break. So if I'm waking up my ideal day, I'm waking up at seven o'clock and then I go straight into like reading prayer, um, you know, and start to get after it for the day. Like if I take a lunch, because I work now as a resident director, my office is around the corner from my apartment. So I'll come back, eat lunch, and I'll watch The Office, you know, and I give myself like a set amount of time. You know, I'm going to watch one episode while I eat my lunch, and then I'm going to sit here and I'm just going to enjoy it. And the same thing at the end of the day yeah. um, where I'll say, you know, this is the, this is the time I'm going to like watch, watch TV. 
Um, but I try not to, yeah, there's not three, four hours a day. Of- <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, you're, you're actually taking, taking ownership of your life and saying, okay, I'm, I'm choosing to live my life rather than watching somebody else's life. Exactly. Yeah. Which is, is just incredibly important and much more fulfilling. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and what I want to point out here, Nathan, and I, I want to get to maybe how we can help others get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's incredible the way you're doing it. I love what you said about how you look at your, you kind of look at your schedule. You look at the schedule last week, like what I actually did to see how I was in alignment. Then you look at what's coming forward and you're intentional about scheduling your week going forward. So you're intentional forward and you're reviewing backwards to see how you did and making adjustments, which I think is a critical practice. Absolutely. I, I also want to get to, if I was doing the math right, you're talking about this philosophy of way to look at your life when you're 18 or 19 years old. Yep. Where'd that come from? Because I judge that's not, frankly, a typical 18 or 19 year old of any generation, frankly, of looking at an integrated life. Right. Yeah, no, I think the Lord led me to that in a lot of different ways. But one of them, as I think a lot of our, our life philosophies are, are forged in our, our dark times, you know, and the struggles that we go through, whether that be as, as children or as young adults, and I think those form us in a big way. So, like, I watched, you know, my, my dad um, and my, my mom's, like, their marriage fall apart. I watched uh, the financial struggles that they had, uh, my dad's infidelity. I watched as we went from a church-going family to not going to church at all. I watched, um, you know, my mom's lost, I think, like, 100 pounds in the last two years or something crazy. And, like, I watched her gain a lot of weight as I was a kid and get out of shape. And I saw her mental health deteriorate in the midst of all of these things, right? So I saw how connected we are and what the church tries to teach of the mind, body, and soul and how connected all three of those things are. But I also saw that, like, in my opinion, where that fell short, because I'm like, okay, mind, body, and soul, that's good. But like, how do I balance my budget? You know, like, like that doesn't help. Mind, body, and soul is nothing if I'm going to be broke. You know, like, unless I'm going to be a monk or something like that, then I don't have to care about that. But if I'm going to be a father and a husband, like I have to care a little bit about my finances. So it really just came to kind of, which I think is the first part to answer the other question that you asked of uh, how do we kind of help people to grow in this? One of the first things that I had to do was really cast out and, and God really helped in this is casting out a vision for my life. You know, like, what do I want my life to look like five, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years from now? And not just think about living like, what do I want to, what do I want for lunch today? And that's where I think a lot of people fail um, to really even get started on this journey. And that was really helpful for me because I always had this dream of like every five years, if I could put Nathan Crankfield from every five years in a room together, you know, I want them always to look up to the one that's coming, you know? And, wow. and so that was always a goal and a dream of mine. And I wanted at 18 for 20 year old Nathan to be the hero of 15 year old Nathan, who was smoking weed, quit the basketball team, you know, for him to look at 20 year old Nathan and be like, wow, this dude is utterly like, I can't wait to be him, you know? And then think about what is 25 year old going to be like? And now I'm shooting out to say, what can 30 year old Nathan be like recognizing that I make you cast votes for that person, that future you every single day with every decision that you make. Jeffrey, getting a flashback back to uh, Joe Schmucci's uh, talk. That's, that's exactly. I was thinking about hero. The word <laughs> hero came up. Exactly. That's exactly who was going through my head. So one thing that just popped from what you just said, and I want to tie some things together here. We've heard it from so many podcast guests. And actually, what flashed in my head was a book, a fiction book. It's one of my escapes, my acknowledged escape. You know, I read a lot of 
nonfiction, but every once in a while I need some good fiction. And I read Jack Reacher novels. Mm. Okay. And if anybody's read Jack Reacher, what they know is that Jack Reacher got where he was from. They were testing him as a child. That's his backstory. He was like six years old and they put all these people in a theater and flashed this really aggressive thing on the screen and everybody ran except he grabbed a knife that he had in his pocket and ran to the screen like to take on the danger. Wow. But that's what I heard in you because so many people recently have said, you know, the key is to run towards the fire, mm-hmm. to run towards that, which scares us. I was watching hell on wheels the other day and someone commented about when things get tough, whenever something bad happened, he always ran towards it while mm-hmm. everybody ran away. And I see you did that in your life because mm-hmm. so many people watch their family go through all this trauma and they run away from it and they say how do i escape this how do i numb this and you actually ran right at it and said how do i make sure this doesn't happen exactly yeah that's leadership to me that's the epitome of leadership amen yeah and i think that that goes back to some of the the childhood stuff as well like with seeing my dad told me so many stories of his dad and how he you know my my dad's dad was really bad and so I, i was able to see how much he grew from that, but also how much he avoided, you know? And so I was able to see, I was able to appreciate how much my dad had grown and how much better he was than his father, while also being very apparent, very aware of the the failures, you know, and the shortcomings and the things that he still could have done to be better. And, but like what bothered me, I think at certain points with my dad is that like, he seemed to be okay with his shortcomings, you know, Mm -hmm. and not just accept the shortcomings of the past, but be okay with the shortcomings of the present, which was something that just like never resonated with me. I was just like, I don't understand this like that's just the way I am mentality is like I'd never get that in people. Um, but what you what you shared there, Jeff, was really big because our my most listened to podcast and one of our most popular blogs is one that I did uh, remembering nine eleven and I talk about being eight years old and how when you know what I learned through a lot of military training and stuff is that when chaos ensues and things are crazy, like people vision like people are just running all over the place, right? Like that's kind of what it looks like in the movies, but. I share that on 9-11, people were really running in one of two directions. You're either going towards the danger or away from it. You know, like no, there, there were people going all over the place. Like people were either going back and forth. And I talk about being eight years old and watching that and how at that point, like I wanted to be one of the people that would run towards mm-hmm. the fire, would run towards the danger. And that's exactly right. And I was just always inspired and motivated by the heroes that I did see. I was always saddened by the fact that there weren't more closer to me. And so I was inspired by a lot of my younger nieces and nephews, cousins, godbrothers, that I wanted to be that for them. And I wanted to be it for me, you know? And so that was something that was always really important to me was being willing to run towards the danger and towards the problem. Wow. What I, what I just took from that, Nathan, is that wherever it came from, and you've shared a lot about where it came from, you are a person who, uh, when the chaos happens, you run, they're the same direction. You run towards God and you run towards yourself right? to say, how can I show up differently here? Right. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely try to be. I think, it's, I think it's so important. And that's one of the things that I think is hard to, you know, people often the age old debate of like, are leaders born or, or created, you know? And I think that the one thing that I think is hard, and even people that I've interviewed on my podcast, you know, it's like, how do you create that? Like, is, is, it, is it possible to create that like, I want to be running towards the fire in everybody, you know, like that's the part of leadership. Like you can definitely be a good leader. And I think there's good leaders that don't necessarily have that as passionately as others, 
but it is hard to imagine, you know, creating that to the same level of conviction and not even that I have, but like people that I look up to in that area, you know, to say like, how, I don't know if I could create that in somebody else, you know, wow. it's, it's, pop, it's tough. It's a choice. Yeah. It is for sure. This has been it awesome, is. Nathan. This is gosh. So I feel so enriched from our time together. Let us know, tell us uh, what you'd like to share with our listeners that's going on for you and your business, your nonprofit, something you want to promote for them. Sure, absolutely. So we have, uh, my, my, my definitely my passion project is, is our podcast, Seeking Excellence podcast. Um, and we also have our blog and, and a, a, weekly, a weekly email program that we put out that has just a lot of content that's focused on those three main things of providing purpose, direction, and motivation to help people to grow in those areas and content, a lot of content we do on social media. So we can be found online. Our website is thosewhoseek.org, thosewhoseek.org. And our Instagram, Facebook uh, pages are Seeking365, at Seeking365. And then, uh, yeah, our podcast, just a Seeking Excellence podcast. And it's on Apple, Spotify, and all that stuff. So, so yeah, so that's where you can go to, to learn more about the philosophy on the website and then uh, check out the podcast and blogs and stuff like that as well. Fantastic, Nathan. And how do they get in touch with you? What's the best way to connect with you? Yeah. So my, web, my email address is Nathan at those who seek.org. Nathan at those who seek.org. Yep. Well, we always finish every episode with a question and I'm, my question for you is going to be somebody living you'd like to have dinner with. And what's the one question you would ask them? That is a great, great question. I think, uh, my favorite, so I always say that there's only like two people in the world or three people in the world that I like to think I'd be starstruck by. And one of them I've actually met before. And he's my favorite priest in America. His name is Father Mike Schmitz. And so if I could have dinner with anybody, it would be with Father Mike. And the one thing that I love about Father Mike, especially having met him very briefly once, was that he is probably the most like famous or popular priest uh, or clerical person you know, in America. And he's just incredibly humble and he's so present and he's so, uh, you know, genuinely himself, but also like you can tell that he cares about you when he's talking to you. And so I would just, you know, love to hear from him or just have to ask him, you know, like, how does he balance this, you know, uh, not, not fame, but just like influence that he has, this popularity that he has with just an incredible humility to do like the daily tasks and work that he does working with college students up at, uh, University of Minnesota Duluth, because it's really, it's really impressive to me. And I see a lot of priests who are just pastors at regular parishes who get big heads and think they're too good to do the little work. And he is, you know, very much in a like normal priest position, but also does all these national conferences is known around the world. And so I think it's really impressive. And I'd love to know how he balances, you know, the, the popularity with the doing the small things. Well, thank you, Nathan. Thank you for bringing your heart and your leadership here to us and our listeners and most importantly thanks for bringing your mission and heart to the world absolutely thanks for having me guys If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartevera Tribe. The Cartevera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartevera Tribe is a membership like none other. 
You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast, Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.